0: Hello and welcome back uh, to Mental Status. This is your host, Megan, or Meg, or M. I don't really care what you call me. Um, today, we are talking about um, the idea or the line of thinking of burnout is for other people um, and how that line of thinking can actually contribute to burnout. So, I'm super excited to have you here today. Uh, yeah, let's get ready and dig in. Hey everybody, uh, welcome back. This is the second episode of Mental Status. Um, <clears throat> so in thinking about what I wanted to talk about today, um, in kind of reviewing what I went over during the first episode, um, something that stuck out in my mind uh, that, that I said <laughs> when I was uh, talking during that first episode was the phrase, burnout is for other people. Uh, and that, that's something that has crossed my mind a few times since then, and really thinking about like, what, what I meant by that for myself, and how that particular attitude led me to getting burnt out, uh, ultimately, because I didn't take the, the hazard seriously. So, I I just wanted to take a little bit of time today to explore that particular mindset and talk about how that dismissiveness on my part really led me down a path of being completely unprepared for burnout when it ended up happening to me. So, as I said in the first episode, uh, when I was going through grad school to become a therapist, you know, there's all those requisite. Um, lessons and courses about therapist as the self and professionalism and identity and ethics. And as part of those ethics classes and the professionalism classes, they talk about burnout and compassion fatigue as hazards of the job. And when I was going through those classes, I had some vague sense of awareness of what burnout might be, uh, primarily because I had worked in industries, uh, particularly the, the marketing industry, where burnout was real, um, real in a, in a very different way. Um, you know, there's the frustration with the job, the uh, organizational stress that came with working in marketing, and particularly working on small teams where, you know, everybody wears multiple hats, uh, that kind of thing. So I had some vague sense of what that might look like for, for myself entering the mental health field, but I didn't get a really well-rounded understanding of what, what burnout actually looks like when you're practicing and when you are face-to-face with clients trying to do therapeutic work. So in grad school, you know, we write out our self-care plans and our, um, our supervisors at the university were really good about checking in, especially when we started internships. Like, what are you doing to take care of yourself? What's coming up for you? Are you taking time away from writing papers? Are you going for walks? Are you eating well? Et cetera, et cetera. All the things that are super important to staying well and keeping a sense of balance especially when you're in this hyper learning stage you know, you're, you're getting into the field most of us very fresh to it a lot of us probably coming with some background in the helping services but for many of us you know we're entering a new phase of a career where we are now face-to-face doing therapeutic work with real people who have real issues who need real help so during grad school, you know, I was a little cocky, I suppose. Um, I I couldn't see myself getting burnt out. Uh, I could see myself getting tired and being affected by client stories and having long days. And, you know, in my mind, what that looked like was, Okay, so I'll have a rough day where I hear some really difficult things. And when I leave for the day, I'll just, you know, I'll be able to tell either my roommate or my partner or spouse, hey, give me 20 minutes, and then I'm good to go, right? Like, I just need some time to decompress, I need to listen to some music, maybe do a meditation, and then I'm good. What ended up happening over time was, um, obviously, I proved myself wrong um, in a lot of different ways. And although I I can't quite say that I got burned out during internships, there was an incredibly steep learning curve for me when it came to um, actually putting into practice the plans that I had created for myself to take care of myself as I was learning how to take care of other people. Um, My first internship, it was um, kind of a baptism by fire experience. I worked for a a co-occurring disorders clinic. So I was a mental health intern at a clinic where people were coming for treatment for substance use disorders. Um, you know, when we, when we did therapy, individual therapy, we were in these tiny little cramped offices, usually with no window to the outside world, uh, fluorescent lights, unless you were lucky and you got one of the many offices with a lamp. Um, there were no phones in a lot of the offices and there were no panic buttons. So the environment itself felt uh, a little unwelcoming for everybody involved. And, you know, going in, I felt very scared, uncertain, um, but by no means did I feel like I was going to struggle with taking care of me at the end of the day. But what I quickly learned, and as I'm sure a lot of people do quickly learn when they start to take on this work, is it's more than just hearing difficult stories and going home for the day and shaking it off. Now, I think the longer you do this work, and the better you become with protecting and managing your own uh, internal state and your own energy and your own sense of ownership over the process, the easier it becomes to be able to leave for the day, shake it off, take a few minutes and reset. But that is not that's not the experience that I had when I was first starting out. It was not so easy for me to um, lock up the office, walk out the doors, and just, you know, go meet my friends for some pho down the road. It was overwhelming. It was, my head was full of theories, and in front of me were real life people whose problems I had. No idea, no idea how to help them with. Um, and I was grasping a lot of the time and sort of fishing in the dark for ways to help these folks move forward. And that created a, an instability within me that I hadn't uh, I hadn't really considered. I hadn't known that would happen. And to to add on to that, By the time I started at this uh, rehab facility, I'd had, I think, maybe a year of my own sobriety under my belt. Uh, And I wasn't going there to be a substance use counselor. I was was on the mental health side of things. So there was an additional complication for me in trying to tease out the approaches and, you know, and being told at times that the mental health aspect was separate from the substance use part, but not really seeing that as truth. Um, and it was, it was definitely a very formative experience for me. And while I don't, looking back, I don't believe that I burned out at that internship, um, I I had a lot of foundations laid for me or that I laid for myself in the way that I was thinking about myself as a professional that, um, that contributed a lot down the road to feeling burnt out and wondering if I could keep doing this job. Um, so fast forward, you know, I, I go through my program and, um, graduate in the spring of 2019 And at the end of that whole program and finishing up my advanced internships, everything is good to go. Um, After walking across the stage and getting my, uh, you know, the fake diploma, whatever it is, I left for a vacation to Italy and really saw that as um, a reset for myself. You know, I had been interviewing for full-time positions. I wanted to take take some time after going through a rigorous three-year program to just completely forget about being a therapist, doing therapy, thinking about mental health. I just, I wanted it gone for just a week so that I could go into this full-time career feeling refreshed. And actually, I can say, um, taking that vacation, it did that for me. It was a, it was a fantastic vacation. Um, and I can say that I was honestly able to separate myself from the identity of being a therapist and everything that that implied, um, and really move into just being myself and being Megan, the person who is, Uh, backpacking around Italy with her friend from high school, rather than uh, Megan, the recent graduate of a clinical mental health counseling program. Um, And that vacation really was (laughs) the last time I remember truly being able to separate myself from my profession. And I'm saying that right now, like, I still have a hard time with that. And it's gotten easier, but it's not. It's been difficult. So after that vacation, I came back and entered into full time work as a multi-systemic therapist. Um, I think I mentioned this in the first episode. And if you don't know much about multi-systemic therapy, it's um, it's definitely an interesting approach to uh, adolescent behavioral problems. It is a super intense modality. Um, the requirements, uh, for doing that therapy when I was working the program would typically be, um, you would have two or three sessions a week for an hour to an hour and a half. I may be mixing that up in my mind. Um, You spent a lot of time. Actually, I think it was three sessions a week. That's right. Three sessions a week for at least an hour each. And this was with the parents or the caregivers, the caregivers of these adolescents who were struggling. And a lot of these families were referred through uh, juvenile probation or children's mental health case management. A lot of families who were not super hyped on the idea of having a stranger come to their house three times a week to uh, collaborate with them on their parenting style. So when I entered that position, um, I struggled right out of the gate and, um, you know, my, my supervisors, I I think in an effort to really give me a full taste of what it's like to be a multi-systemic therapist, um, they placed me with a family, my very first client, um, out, out of grad school, very first client ever as a professional, they placed me with a client family where one of the caregivers was very critical, historically critical of providers and questioned their credentials. So it was, it was a great, it was a great start. Um, and I just remember, you know, that was my first client family for a while. I didn't have a lot of other clients right out of the gate. It took a little while to build that up. Um, and I just remember going through the motions with this family. I mean, more within my own head, um, and at times with the family themselves and with one caregiver in particular, feeling like an abject failure, just feeling so awful about the job I was doing and my ability to affect a change. And um, just this sense of powerlessness that I had over the situation. And it really, um, it took a lot out of me. And it bled over into how I was conducting myself within my own family and with my friends and how I was approaching free time. I would spend my free time off of work researching methods of how to engage quote unquote uh, resistant clients and you know the first few years the first several years of being a professional you are of course just in this whole world of learning and adapting and growing and expanding your your skill set and your clinical abilities but What I found for myself was I, going back to that mindset of burnout is for other people, I didn't see a problem with constantly engaging with professional reading material and podcasts and thinking about it until I got to the point where I was just, I was overwhelmed with information and feeling a little bit paralyzed with this family. Like, I dreaded going to their house. I dreaded feeling like a failure. And it got to the point where where this, this particular caregiver started to um, kind of triangulate me and my supervisors. You know, she would reach out to the supervisor. Um, and I, I, I felt the support of the team, but was carrying around this like, internal sense of guilt that I couldn't be what this family needed. And as a result, um, the family was was going to suffer for it. So there's there's a whole, (laughs) there's a whole lot that goes into that. And, you know, of course, the mindset that goes into being a helper, um, I found for myself, can either contribute to or protect against burnout. But at the time, I had this whole kind of like cocktail of not very helpful thoughts about myself and my abilities to be a helper um, that contributed ultimately to me feeling like I couldn't do it anymore, that I had made a huge mistake in going into this field and doing this work, which when you're like four or five months out of grad school, that is the worst feeling. <laughs> and, and if you've experienced that, like even if you're longer, you know, you've been doing it for longer and you experience burnout, that feeling sucks. It's just the worst because you've spent and invested so much time and so much energy and you've learned so many things and you've done so much and taken so many trainings, gotten your CEUs only to come up against these feelings of, oh my God, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> That's an awful feeling. Um, ultimately I did not decide to leave, um, at least not for that particular reason, but it took some, some thoughtful and intentional examination of how I was internally thinking about myself and thinking about my role within this family's, um, story. And separating myself a little bit from that you know not so much that I was completely dissociated or distant from them during my interactions but really telling myself that I can take them only as far as they're willing to go in a lot of different ways and I know that there are some different opinions about not working harder than your clients or maybe you should work harder than the client um a lot of different schools of thought around how to handle clients who have hesitation or quote unquote resistance um, and whether that is the client's responsibility or whether that falls on the shoulders of the clinician. Um, I tend to take a slightly balanced view of that, more balanced than I have in the past, where at this point when I when I work with a client who I'm, I'm getting a sense that they, um, they're they maybe not fully in it or they're not sure what they want out of working with me or you know, they, they're here because of CPS or probation, I always try to approach it with a sense of I'm here to help you as much or as little as you want me to. And it's okay if you're unsure about it. It's okay if you don't think you need this. Um, If you're being forced to do this because of the legal system or because of your family, you know, I'd like to be able to find a way to make it the most worth your while. But at the end of the day, if you choose not to come, that is absolutely your choice. And there may be other consequences for that. I'd like to do what I can to help you avoid those consequences, but you have the choice. And so giving giving that power back to to the client and taking some of my own power back and saying, you know, I, I don't have to have full responsibility for their engagement beyond a certain point. I don't have to take on the full responsibility of their actions or their lack of action. Um, it was a hard lesson to learn because I... I I came into this field very naive, thinking that all it takes is, um, some gentle encouragement and the right formulation of words to get a client to the point where they're ready to take the next steps. And as we all very well know, that is not always the case. So in this first job, um, And really, when I came to the point where, as I mentioned in the first episode, I had a supervisor who, after listening to me for a few weeks talk about the struggles I was having, he said, you're burning out. And he was, he was really the first person to name it for me. And I I had a sense of it in my mind, like, okay, something's really not right. I have to fix what I'm doing, (laughs) Um, I have to fix something, something needs to be done. And to have it come from another person, another professional who had been doing this for much longer than I had, who had a sense about him of um, having a greater level of control over how he chose to interact with, you know, with me and with colleagues and with clients to hear from him. Megan, you are burning out. It was such a relief. Um, It was such a relief to hear that. And really scary because that meant I had to do something about it. And I had no idea. I had no idea how to do anything about burnout. Um, You know, going back to what I talked about earlier, of course I had those self-care plans. But at the end of the day, if I'm showing up at home, pissed off and stewing in my own negative bullshit about how hard this job is and how unfair it is and how how are we supposed to ever get anybody truly involved when they feel forced into it and I feel forced into it I was just it was in a place where it was really hard for me to mindfully engage in anything other than my own negative bullshit and he saw that. He saw that in me and was able to um, gently but directly p- point out to me, you know, hey, this, this isn't working for you, obviously, and, and we need to figure something else out. So finally, I realized after three years of grad school and not very long in the uh, first first full-time professional job I had as a therapist, that um, burnout isn't just for other people. It It's for me too. And it's kind of weird to talk about it as being for me rather than, you know, it's something that happens to me. Um, because at the end of the day, as I've worked through my periods of burnout and being angry, sad, stressed, tired, anxious, all of these things, I've, I've come to a place where I can approach that process as being a lesson for myself and being a point of um, being able to take back some, some sense of control and power over the situation and I've really been able to start recognizing that when I feel most powerless, when I feel most out of control of the, the outcomes of my clients or, you know, whether or not they're even showing up to sessions or how they're feeling, whether they're engaging, that now has become my sign of, okay. We got to we got to do some reevaluation here. We have to step back and really think um, critically about what types of attitudes we're taking on. What am I thinking about myself as a professional? Are my thoughts helping me? Are they pushing me to be um, more skilled and more attentive to the needs of my clients? Or am I? Am I just giving up, um, giving up on myself and giving up on the process? So it's become a bit more of an intricate process for me over time. And one that I've, I don't want to say I've been forced into, uh, but some of the professional situations I've been in have uh, called for me to, to think more critically about how I'm approaching the work. And the thoughts that I'm having about myself and my clients um, that are either helping or harming me and, you know, how to look at those things differently. And one of the biggest shifts that I have had to make is that idea that burnout won't happen to me. I mean, obviously, like I said in the first episode, I've been through at least two cycles of burnout. I haven't been through a burnout cycle that has completely pushed me out of this field, but I've been close enough. <laughs> I'll say that much. I've been close enough. I've been to um, to the point a few times where it was either, for, for lack of a better term, shit or get off the pot, right? Like I had to figure it out and shitting on myself and being a jerk to myself and continuing to take on this sense of being out of control and powerless over the situation was not helping me. I had to determine for myself that if I truly wanted to keep doing this work and doing it well and doing it in a way where I wasn't being harmed and my clients weren't being harmed I had to start thinking about it differently which started with taking it seriously. I had to take it seriously that I'm not immune to the occupational hazard of burnout. I'm not immune to the occupational hazard of compassion fatigue. Now, I can say that I have not yet experienced those signs of compassion fatigue. I I feel fortunate in that because I have worked with some clients whose stories are very traumatic um so I, I feel thankful and very um, very much more in tune with myself to be able to identify those things within myself. Um, but it was the, it was the burnout that I took less seriously, and that I kind of, I phoned in my self-care plan, and I didn't stop to evaluate my own core beliefs about, who gets burnout and why. So that has been probably one of the more important things that I've done to help turn myself around when it comes to moving through burnout um, and evaluating where I am and what I need to do next. Um, and it's it's been powerful for me. It's been a really a really good and effective way for me to take myself more seriously uh, when it comes to, to the occupational hazard. So that's what I have uh, for that line of thinking, you know, this, this whole burnout is for other people uh, kind of idea. And, you know, I'd be really interested to hear from those of you who who maybe started with a similar line of thinking, Um, where are you with that? Do you still feel that way? Like, Is it hard to admit that you are also human and can be completely burnt out by a job that you love? Or are you the type who's like, hell yeah, I am 100% aware of the fact that I can be burned out. I am burned out right now. I'm burnt to a fucking crisp. Like where are you? what's What's been your journey with that line of thinking? Um, so yeah, that's that's what I got for you today. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts and um, hopefully to pick up this conversation at some point again in the future. Hey, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, if you liked what you heard, Feel free to hit that subscribe button on the uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, If you'd like, give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You know, that always helps. I appreciate it very much. If you want to connect uh, somewhere else other than on the show, you can find me on Instagram at mentalstatuspod. And you can find my website at mentalstatus.transistor.fm. Thanks.